The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome again to 442 Insider, our weekly uh, trip into the warped minds and troubled souls of the team behind our not-too-shabby football magazine and website. Uh, my name's Andy Jackson, I'm publisher. I'm in the hot seat today because uh, Paul Hansford has uh, taken leave and uh, headed off to Thailand to a place called Crabs, I believe. Um, <laughs> could be very careful how that comes out, uh, Thailand and Crabs in the same sentence. But anyway, I'm sure he's having a lovely time with the family. Paul, we miss you for your tuning in. Um, Today marks the 40th anniversary of the Apollo 11 um, blasting off to the moon and as we uh, deliver another football-shaped nugget of goodness into the uh, ether for your enjoyment, I'm joined today by our acting editor, our own answer to Julia Gillard, Trevor Trahan and uh, esteemed company in Francis Awaratifi, ex-Socceroo, SBS football pundit and now CEO of the Johnny Warren Foundation and Francis is going to be joining us throughout, giving us his views and then later on in the show we're going to have a, a specific chat about the Johnny Warren Foundation and what's happening there and, and his role in that. Um, so without any further ado, let's get into it. Um, part one, I think it's probably worth um, taking a bit of a breather and having a look at the pre-season. Um, obviously this is the first year without a pre-season cup. We've had friendlies against Premier League, Scottish Premier League opposition. Um, we've seen a couple of, uh, of strategies, so we, we've seen teams play against more senior um, opposition, but then we've also seen Sydney's approach, which has been very much state-focused and, and playing more games, more frequent tests, but against uh, predominantly state league opposition. So I'll throw it out. Trev, what's your thoughts so far? Yeah, I've, I've quite enjoyed the new pre-season. I don't think anyone really liked the pre-season cup, did they? Everyone complained about it. It wasn't really competitive enough. So the chance to get to see, you know, you know, big clubs come out and, and see what they're like and particularly you know with Celtic with uh, um, Scott McDonald and, and Fulham with um, Mark Schwarzer yeah it's good I mean you know people have come to see the game the attendances have, have been um, you know reasonable for, for a pre-season game but I also like Sydney's approach as well I mean you know living in Sydney I went to a couple of those state league games and you know enjoyed them and it's good to see an A-league club playing at those smaller grounds and getting you know people in Leichhardt and, and you know in the Shire them watching in the games Francis do you think this is another sort of you know considered step from Sydney to shed the the bling FC tag you know and that if you were going to bet on a team to have played a Premier League opposition it would have been Sydney and they, and they've, they haven't they've shied away from that yeah, look I, I don't think that they ought to shy away from the bling FC I think it's a good brand I think if you it really I mean it's a great brand to be Bling FC. I think what they need to do is to, and what they're doing is, is getting out there to the community, to the different, outside Sydney, to the different clubs within Sydney, places like Campbelltown, Penrith. They're getting out to these, all these areas and they're trying to build relationships with the people there by playing games in, in those areas. And I think it's a very good strategy. I think that uh, not only does it help to bring their, their community and their development side of their, their club um, and to build some bridges there, I think also, it's also a good way for the new coach, um, 
to actually try and bed his team down because he's, he's starting um, from scratch in a, in a lot of ways because obviously his knowledge of Australian football is not very good yeah. uh, because he's only just arrived here and I think it's a fantastic way for him to actually build the team up to build the understanding to try and get the team to gel the way he wants the team to play but when you're doing it against opposition that's not particularly very strong you're able to kind of experiment and use it more as a learning tool rather than the normal pre-season where they'd be playing competitive matches uh, and where sometimes the focus is on winning rather than trying yeah. to build understanding and, and the team Okay Trev yeah. overall looking at on the pitch what's your verdict in terms of we've had a bit of a mixed bag with uh, Perth a new look Perth getting old Perth results and um, they got hammered overnight 5-0 by Fulham um, what's your take so far have we learnt anything from it on the pitch I think learn's the important word there the, the players you know when they lose 5-0 to an EPL side they need to look at it as a learning process and not let it knock them, their confidence because you know it is a world apart I think the Gold Coast result was a bit of a fog storm wasn't it you know when they beat Fulham you got the impression that you know perhaps Perth and you know Melbourne might better get results against their EPL teams um, but yeah I mean like I say as, as long as the players are aware that they are playing premiership players and it's something for them to aspire to not something for them to to be you know, crushed by ahead of the coming season then yeah it's, a, it's an ideal thing regardless of result and given the Gold Coast result France, do, you, do we think that, that that is an indicator to the season that, that they're a, a step ahead of the, the competition at the moment no, not really. I think that uh, Fulham had only had a week's training or something like that when they played the Gold Coast. So it's, it'd be wrong of us to read anything into the result. I think that uh, Fulham had had a week and, yeah, it, it happened. The result was a good result for Gold Coast, uh, morale boosting certainly. But uh, I think they're smart enough to realise that, hey, you know, um, it's just a, a pre-season game. Um, let's learn what we need to learn from this. And, and our, our main goal is making sure that when the league kicks off in August, that we are the best possible shape we're in. Uh, I think with regards to Perth, I think David Mitchell, I mean, I don't know what the training thing is there, but you, you got, as um, Trevor's saying, there is a, there is a difference between the, um, a huge difference between the, the Premier League and, uh, and, and us, and, and in the off-season, even in the off-season, because the Premiership players, um, they're in better shape. They've been, I mean, when you look at the, they, st- they only stopped playing in May, yeah. uh, whereas uh, the A-League's been uh, off since, you know, February, you know, Perth haven't played since February mm. so when you look at the differences there in terms of preparation and, and all that it makes a huge difference I, 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 that's where trying to read things into those sorts of games um, you, um, you've got to look beyond uh, the scoreline yeah and it's been difficult obviously because none of the games have, have been televised so we've not really been able to look at that and analyse that talking about someone that's only had a week's training Robbie Fowler um, scored last night on, on his debut, uh, came on after the fi- on the 54th minute, scored in the 67 from the penalty spot. Um, collective sigh of relief from everyone, Trev. Yeah, good. He finally got on the pitch and. I mean, good to see him playing, good to see him, you know, scoring, albeit from the spot. But um, like I was saying, we didn't see the game, so I've only read the report and, and flicked through the pictures. Um, you know, not wanting to, you know, be a bit bitchy here. He still looks a little bit overweight to me. You know, the, the picture they had of him taking the photo of it, stretching back, he still looked like he could probably get, you know... It's all about angles, though, mate. I, I suffer from that. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, the thing is, that I, I, what was really important, I thought, to Robbie Fowler doing well in the A-League and doing well in Townsville was a full pre-season and, you know, really working hard, getting himself fit, staying fit, so he could, you know, um, start the season well. And that hasn't happened, so I think it that's a slight concern going in you know when the season starts next month I think he might still need a few weeks especially with the heat in Townsville to to get used to it 
Well, it's time for the old classic bin bag underneath the shirt, bit of jogging around, <laughs> yeah. the old sauna suit. It's the Tony Adams method. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He needs to hit the sauna. Yeah, and and so. off the pitch, crowds generally encouraging. 15,000 last night out in Perth. It was a double header. Um, 20,000 at Melbourne Victory, no surprise there. Um, I think 20,000 Melbourne fans would turn up to a training session if they were allowed in. Um, probably the disappointing one for me was the Gold Coast fans. A lot of, you know, they've been doing a lot of up there. Jason Kalina, big name squad, big name, you know, big ambitions, and only 10,000 were there. Yeah, but I mean, we've got to remember, I mean, without being derogatory, it is just Fulham. I mean, yeah. the thing is, we've got to look at the Premiership. Um, it has all these glitz and around it and all that sort of stuff. But in reality, really, the teams that really attract the big crowds are going to be teams like, you know, Manchester United, Arsenal, the big four. Yeah. You know, they're the ones who are really going to attract the big, uh, the big numbers. And I think, you know, I mean, whilst some of those other teams, I mean, Fulham had a, a great year this year, uh, but they, they just don't have that pulling power, certainly yeah. here in Australia. And again, society of how far we've come that we can say mm. only 10,000 to watch a, a local game of football in Australia against any opposition so uh, alright moving on um, on a similar theme we're going to look at obviously the odds are out now uh, subject close to Trevor's heart I know is he's gambling yeah. um, Melbourne victory resounding favourites to do the double again it would seem minor premiership $2.40 grand final um, to win the grand final $3.75 seems to be uh, the, the top four according to the bookies and we know that you don't meet many poor bookies is Melbourne Brisbane Sydney and the Gold Coast anyone disagree with that? Brisbane second I know I, I was quite surprised at that that sounds a little bit too high to me I think Gold Coast are right value you know 7.5 you're, you're never going to know how they're going to play but in terms of that squad that they've assembled, you know, if, if they can get a reasonable start, I think you know, that, that, that's a good bet. Do we think, funny, that the, that the extended season is going to make things a bit, a bit fairer? Um, you know, a bit more of a truer test? Because I think certainly with a 21-game season, if you came out of the blocks pretty slowly and, and took a while to get into your stride, you could very quickly find yourself out of it. Do we think that that longer season is going to be more of a test? Oh, definitely. Without a question, you've got to play more games. I think that, uh, and the A League's been dying for that. You know, with with more teams, and I think, and that's one of the things that's going to be really interesting this year, having the, the new teams in it. I I, I think that um, looking at the odds, I mean, I, I agree, with Trevor. I would have I would have had Sydney as second favourites to be honest. I think that uh, Brisbane Raw did well last year, but for me the question mark is always how Frank Farina balances his team yeah. and I think that's always the question mark with him there and I think that the Gold Coast whilst they've, they, will, they will cause some upsets and I think that they'll, they'll have a good year I, I don't see them going near winning it in fact the, the two teams I'd be, um, that I think are going to uh, dominate this year are going to be Sydney and uh, Melbourne Okay. I think Perth are a good price as well at 13 again you know we don't know how they're going to play them they lost 5-0 last night but you know they have recruited well and you know who knows they might better get back up there. but another market which interests me is the wooden spoon who, who's going to come bottom and um, you know Wellington Phoenix are, f- are favourites at the moment then North Queensland Fury and, and Newcastle Jets and Wellington obviously because they've lost you know their team in Shane Smelts yeah. um, but North Queensland Fury I, I fancy for that I mean I haven't seen them play yet but you know looking at their squad and looking at the results here yeah, I think they might find themselves propping up the table and the golden boot Archie Thompson favourite probably agree with that playing in probably the strongest side um, Shane Smelts eight bucks then we've got Alsop and Aloisi obviously John Aloisi got 
got off the mark this season yeah. early with a double. I actually um, think Shane Smeltz will win the Golden Boots, and the reason I say that is, is that he, he's playing in a good team. Um, they will attack uh, under Blyberg. They're going to play an attacking formation, which is going to suit him. They'll create opportunities for him. And I think he's going to score a lot of goals. And the thing is, whereas with Melbourne, they are a very good team, you're right. But the problem, the problem tends to be with them is they're really top sides. That the goals tend to get shared. And I think because you've got Olsop, he'll take a few away from Archie. You've got their midfield, guys like Tom Pondiak and guys like that, uh, and Hernandez. They'll chip in with a few. So I think that, you know, for that reason, Archie probably won't end up being um, leading goal scorer. So I think Shane smelts for me isn't yeah. it? I, I, think, I think Joel Porter is another good bet he's not actually listed, he's not actually in, the, listed in the prices so, so I mean that could be worth looking in um, Van Dijk at 13 bucks based on his performance certainly in the second half of last season would look a good bet if he picks up where he left off yeah that's pretty good Robbie Fowler out at, at 17 to 1 and a similar point you know they're going to be looking to him purely for the goals so you can see him um, doing right there but if, if anyone was looking for a, a bit of value a bit of a long shot Chris Greenacre like, hear me out Chris Greenacre yeah. at Wellington 67 to 1 right he had got a similar background to Smelts and Allsop from like you know the scoring in the lower leagues of England they're going to make him the new Smelts at Wellington he will score goals there 67 to 1 that could be worth a cheeky fiver alright and what do we think the yardstick's going to be for strikers this year obviously what, what we talked about in the first four seasons was 10 goals you know, 21 games, if you're at that 10-goal mark, that's pretty much a, a goal every other game. What do we think the golden, what's going to win the golden boots? You know, I reckon you'll be, this year, it's going to be a bit different. I think you'll be looking at anything up to 14, uh, yeah. possibly 15 goals to win it. Okay. Yeah. Jeff, you agree with that? About right, yeah. I think anyone, anyone over 15 is um, likely to win. It'd be great to see someone smash 20, though, wouldn't it? 20 from 27, but we'll have to wait and see. All right. Well, Trev is about to run off to the tab and put 10 bucks <laughs> on Chris Greenacre <laughs> to be golden boot winner. Me and Francis are going to laugh at him all the way. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about silly money at Manchester City. Goldrick Farrell and solicitors are here to help all sporting people, whether individuals, clubs or corporates, right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world. Goldrick Farrell and solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants. Whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal, business or property interests, Goldrick Farrell and solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milan now on 02926777. Three double one, or visit www.gfm.com.au. Want to bet on the soccer? Come to betfair.com. Betfair punters bet against each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. To get better odds yeah. and bigger yeah. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community, betfair.com. Betting as it should be. Promotional code PRT888. I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today. Look at the vehicles they drive. More show than anything, and certainly not tough. I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider. Um, joining me is uh, acting editor Trevor Trahan yep. and uh, Francis Awaratifi. And we're, we're about to chat light years away from the A-League. We're about to talk about Manchester City, who have uh, 
stepped up their recruitment another notch this week by signing Carlos Tevez um, for 52.5 million. Um, that's not that's obviously excluding his salary, which uh, the, the, they're tipping Manchester City's spend this preseason to top 600 million dollars. You know, they're offering ridiculous money to John Terry. Emmanuel Adebayor is apparently next. They've already recruited Tevez, Santa Cruz and Barry. Throw it out to the guys. Are they, is this going to be enough for them to break into the top four? Um, I don't think so this season, though. I, I do think eventually if they carry on spending, you know, the same way. I mean, Tevez, you can't argue with, you know, he's a fantastic signing, proving the premiership tries incredibly hard you know even when he was at West Ham there was no fault in his effort and you know he played well eventually towards the end of his career there the thing I would say about Man City and what they're trying to do this kind of instant success is buying the title and you know sorry Simon Hill here but no matter how much money you've got you're still Man City yeah and if you're a player who's interested in other things you know supported Liverpool since a kid or have always dreamed of playing for Real Madrid then you you know you might still go that way I don't think there's many you know hugely talented players are going you know what I've always dreamed of playing for Man City but you know it's the money that will get them there and you know the excitement behind building that sort of project on, on that base it'd be good to ask Simon this but how would you feel if you're a Man City fan you know the, the Man City has always been the people's club of Manchester it's always been said that you know Manchester United sell more shirts than any team other than in Manchester where it's mm. Man City how do you feel as a Man City fan seeing all these people as Trevor said that have got no affiliation with the club they're just there for the money and they will leave as soon as the money's better somewhere else do you feel that the club loses a bit of its identity through that process um, but I think that that's the thing now football is such a global game now anyway that you know I mean I think in some ways we do labour on the illusion that uh, football is still about the local boy playing for the local club and, and you know player loyalty and all this sort of stuff we, we, we know that that's an illusion now it doesn't exist anymore you know the the, the the size of the dollar is what decides, you know, or the, the pound in this instance, what yeah. decides where you, where a footballer decides to play football. I think with Manchester City, look, to be honest, I think their supporters will be absolutely sick of being second fiddle to Manchester United. And I think that if these blokes are going to come in and pump whatever it is to get uh, top players in so that they can compete on an equal level with Manchester United, I don't think the fans are going to care. I think they're just going to be saying, bring it on. We want to be able to, we're sick of being second fiddle to Manchester United. For the first time ever, we've, got, we've now got the resources, yeah. uh, similar resources to United, and now we're going to be able to compete on an equal footing with them. So I think, you know, uh, that's what, the, um, well, that, that, that for me is a rational position anyway. I think for me, the, the, the concern for me is that what happens if these guys get bored? You know, in that they are paying massively inflated transfer fees, way beyond what any other club can can afford. So let's say let's say the Arabs get bored after two or three seasons and they take their money somewhere else as an opportunity. Man City are left with a load of assets in their players that are worth significantly less to any other club than Man City they've paid for them. So even if they sold all their assets, it can't cover their debts. And you know, and that—that's the concern for me. You know, when you look at the Abramovich and Chelsea, Abramovich's money is an interest-free loan for Chelsea. If he decides to take that back, that—that that would suck the heart out of that football club. You know, and 
is that good for the game? Uh, look, I and and yeah, and you and you you're bringing up a wider point here, which you're you're pretty much talking about the sustainability. How yeah. how how is this sustainable long term? And and you're correct. You know, when you look at these uh, the the purchases of. Um, clubs in the English Premier League by billionaires, um, there is a massive risk there that, you know, if these guys choose to walk, that's the, that's the risky side of it, because you're right, if they walk away, um, the club is saddled up with huge amounts of debts and, and that they can't uh, possibly service, uh, and you know, and that puts the, the, the very existence of the club in jeopardy. Yeah. And I think that we, we saw that with Liverpool recently where they were talking about the fact that these owners had all this money to refinance, the debt was saddled on Liverpool and they were in real trouble, basically uh, uh, until, but they, apparently they've got it refinanced. But the problem is, as you said quite rightly, the FA, the governing body in England, um, I guess like bodies in Spain and possibly even Germany, where there are real controls over who owns over a club, the ownership, yeah. ownership of the clubs. That needs to. That's something that needs to be really looked at. Yeah. If they're really, really serious about the sustainability of the game, um, that needs to be looked at to say, okay, well, we've got to stop these billionaires coming along taking over clubs clubs have to be able to run um, sustainably they, yeah. they, you know, they have to live within their means you know, it, as, as Arsene Wenger said on many, many occasions Trev I mean one, one idea obviously the, the sal- a salary cap's been mooted but is very unlikely to ever happen soon because of the EU law is there a rule that could be brought in whereby clubs can only spend a, a, a certain percentage of their income on players which then allows the big clubs to spend more but it doesn't allow a club to ever spend beyond their means i.e. where their wage bill outweighs their total income you know, which is certainly the case in, 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 with a lot of these clubs. I think at least you have to have, you know, the point you're making about these guys, you know, come and buy loads of assets, aren't worth that and then leave. I think it's more that they have to be locked in with their own personal money. So they have to appreciate that, you know, that money they're spending isn't Man City's and then they can go off. It's their money. Um, I don't know, I'll be honest, I don't actually know what the rules are. We've... Mm. We say if it is their money or if it's going through City or... In the case of the Glazers with Man United and with Mm. Gillette and Hicks Mm. with Liverpool is they, they... They took out loans to buy those clubs. Mm-hmm. It's not even their own money, and you know. And what they're looking to do is to come in for a period of three or four years, and mm-hmm. then sell it for a twenty or thirty yeah. million pound profit, which is mm-hmm. not a bad bit of business for two or three it, seasons. Yeah, but that assumes again. This is this is a classical um, move that uh, uh, your private equity uh, firms uh, uh, make when they purchase assets mm-hmm. on the uh, assumption that the uh, uh, the price of the asset is going to go up over time, and they you know they they. And then what they do is they sell it for a big profit. But the thing is, we've seen the global financial crisis um, where the bubbles burst as a result of that. And so people are now finding it incredibly difficult to finance these really huge sums of loans that are required to to keep these clubs going. And not only that, um, those assets aren't then worth as much as what they probably paid for it I mean we yeah. see that with Newcastle United yeah, yeah. with Mike Ashley he's right. sunk all that money into it but there's no way that, that, that the club is worth what he actually paid for it now and so he's having to take a lot less uh, yeah. I, I, think he, I think he paid something like 250 million it's 100 and he's going for 100, those, right? uh, so it's now looking to he's looking for 100 million but there's talk that um, he might not even get that oh, and that's a good point you know, and the beauty of this is that at the end of the day it doesn't matter it is still it is still a game and it does come down to the score mm. 
and money doesn't always buy you success. But the danger is, is if the if they've financed that on the on the assumption of growth and the team doesn't perform, then that's potentially threatening the existence of the club. Oh, well. the economic factors, because yeah. the economic factors do affect everyone. So uh, th- th- I think that what you, what you do to mitigate the risks, as I said, is, is to look at what the Germans do and what the Spanish people do, where, yeah, and to maybe the UEFA need to make new laws, which says, you know, clubs can't spend, that a proportion of um, their uh, income can't be... Um, for example, with player payments, can't be more than sixty or seventy yeah. percent of your of your turnover. Yeah. And then that way, um, people can be a bit more, um, be a bit more careful. Yeah. And, and it still incentivizes the clubs to grow their their brand around the world right. and grow yeah. shirt sales mm. and grow come up because then mm. if that grows, that in turn allows them to recruit better players. That's correct. All right. Um, well, from a very serious note, we'll head on to a little half-time orange segment. We're going to look at some of the lighter stuff off the pitch. Trev, I'm assuming that, as usual, you've come in with a, an absolute perler. Well, but do you know what? One thing I was thinking when I was um, you know, reading the football sites this morning is that is left midfield Turkey Stuart Downing the worst 40th birthday present <laughs> anyone has ever had? It's Andy's 40th today. So, what did you feel when you read that? It is my 40th today, and yes, I did think, what on earth are we doing (laughs) buying someone that can't even play until um, October or November? But that's Martin O'Neill for you in the transfer market. It's such a ditherer that he has to buy someone that he knows can't play for the first three months. Um, It is a lot of money. Um, However, you know, he is still consistently being picked in the England squad, and I'll trust Capello's judgment that said you know we we did trust that judgment with Heskey and that hasn't turned out too well so far <laughs> I think you need uh, to get Titus Bramble at the back and then you've got it yeah Titus Bramble at the back maybe sort of Jeff Thompson in midfield you know, so, so. Um, so yeah thanks for bringing that up Trev so was that it yeah that was it right, okay. that's the only point I wanted to make well, my, mine was mine was not sort of funny, although it is quite funny in the, in the soap opera that is David Beckham. You know that this whole Beckham, Landon, Donovan spat. You know that the classic thing about it for me was it was how funny is it that someone's writing a book already called the Beckham Exper- Experiment in football, and he's still there. He's not even left yet. Um, but France, there's an ex-player. You know the, the 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 Beckham side of it, and the whole background to this is that Landon Donovan's come out and said that he thinks that Beckham's not a particularly good teammate, yeah, he's not a particularly yeah. good captain. Uh, he didn't pick up the tab when they all went out for a steak. Mm. You know, and I'm, I'm sort of like thinking, well, is is Beckham a bit damned if he does or damned if he doesn't there? Because if he comes around first team meeting and, and starts throwing around wads of cash, mm. then are people going to say, oh, flash Harry? You know, mm. like you know, and his view as yeah. well. Everyone pays for that. We're all equal. We're all teammates. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I. I personally thought it was a bit out of order of Landon Donovan to go and speak to the press about this first you know yeah look I agree I think that um, in, in, in football uh, certainly there's always a code between the players that uh, what that if you've got something to say to somebody you say it behind you say in the dressing rooms you say it in the four walls there uh, even with the coaches you know you want to slam a player do it in the dressing rooms don't do it outside don't air, don't, don't air your dirty laundry outside and I think that uh, what uh, Landon Donovan did was unprofessional um, I'm not sure what the motives were for him going public the way he did yeah. because really what he did has a, a, a huge potential to damage uh, the, the, the team spirit basically yeah. you know and, and as you quite rightly said David Beckham it's, it's a difficult position for him because yeah sure he earns a, a lot more money than the others but that doesn't then say that he has to go out as you say throw throw his cash around to try and buy their 
friendship or their you know or their good graces you know yeah. it, you know if he if he goes out for a drink with um, the whole load of blokes then he, he picks up around just like everyone else and uh he shouldn't be expected to do more just because he's earning more money yeah and i think yeah so you just have to wonder as i said you know you you, you got to look below the surface of the comments um what what was driving that why did he say those things and you know and uh was it because he's trying to sell this book and he wants to put something controversial in it you know i mean does he really feel well, like it's not actually his book is it he's he was just interviewed by the yeah. guy writing the book. I, I mean, I think certainly from the moment Beckham was signed, Landon Donovan's used to being top dog there mm. and likes being a big fish in a small pond, mm. you know. Mm. Went over to the Bundesliga, didn't really cut it, mm. hightailed it back and yeah. I think quite likes that, you yeah. know, being the biggest name mm. until mm. David Beckham came yeah, along. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I guess the thing for me is, did he actually think that Beckham wasn't ever going to go back there when he did that interview? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's the point. Actually, you've made a good point because I think that... Uh, when uh, when he because I mean obviously he did the deal to stay on at Milan yeah. and a lot of people would have thought oh yeah well now that he's gone to Milan he's not coming back and uh, and I think that yeah you're right I mean again that's what I'm saying you know that you've got to look below the surface yeah, of the comments about why what's the motivation you know what's yeah. you know so that's that's the thing and I think David Beckham the poor bloke you know I mean he, he it's not his fault really I mean he's just doing his job as a footballer as professionally as he can and, and, and the interesting thing that Beckham said as well which I found really interesting is that he said look I've played at all the top clubs in the world or some of the best clubs in the world and at no point has anyone ever questioned my professionalism and that's true yeah, because yeah. when you look at the when you look at his stay at uh, Real Madrid yeah. when he when he actually when Capello actually said don't need you anymore and Beckham knuckled down worked hard and that's the thing you can't say and, I mean People can say what they want about him, but when you look at his attitude as a footballer and the way he loves the game and the way yeah. he respects the game, you can't, you know, I take my hat off to the guy. I, really no, I agree. Certainly when he was over here, you know, you get, we were a few press events and that, and it, it is a life unlike any other. Mm -hmm. You see the, the furore around him wherever he goes and how, you know, I think he's surrounded himself with some pretty good people that shield him from a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But the thing that struck me when he was over here was that when, you, when you, you actually get down to it, he still loves being a football player. Mm -hmm. You know, and the money and the wealth and everything else that goes with it, when he steps on the pitch and when he's training, he is 100% football, you know, and, and I certainly respect him for that. Yeah, did a tight bastard buy you a drink, though? No, mate, didn't. <laughs> we went Dutch. Anyway. anyway, on that note, we're going uh, to head off to, uh, I think the kettle's on, so we're going to have a quick cup of tea, and then we'll uh, be back for the second half where we're going to talk um, more Australian football. So join us in the next couple of minutes. Goldrick Farrell-Milland solicitors are here to help all sporting people, whether individuals, clubs or corporates, right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world. Goldrick Farrell-Milland solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants. Whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal, business or property interests, Goldrick Farrell-Milland solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milland now on 02 92 or visit www.gfm.com.au Want to bet on the footy? Come to betfair.com Betfair punters bet against each other Yep, 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 uh-huh To get better odds yeah. and bigger yeah. wins So join the world's biggest online betting community Betfair.com Betting as it should be Promotional code PRT888 I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today Look at the vehicles they drive More show than anything and certainly not tough 
I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. Back to 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to uh, 442 Insider. We're in the home straight and we've got a couple more topics to discuss. Um, first point, I'm going to put a really strict five-minute time, time limit on this, five-minute time limit, which is to discuss Australian football right now. We've got local clubs challenging themselves against the Premier League, Scottish Premier League opposition. We've got season five about to kick off with 10 teams. We've got a comfortable qualification for a second consecutive World Cup. We're bidding to host the World Cup. Let's be honest, has there ever been a better time for football in this country? Discuss. Um, well, the short answer, no. I mean, Francis might claim when he was playing, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I think um, when you say it like that, you really realise just how lucky we are. And I think there needs to be an appreciation of that. I think everyone's got caught up with, you know, kind of going with the flow of how, how well everything's going. That, you know, they're starting to criticise other things like Pim's tactics and, you know, criticising, you know, some of the players coming into the A League or, or what, whatever it is. So I think everyone just needs to take a step back and take in just how lucky we are at the moment and then you can enjoy what's happening more yeah look I mean the game has never been uh, certainly commercially it's never been in a better position for a long time the visibility uh, the media around it um, the debate I'm in fact in something that I'm enjoying uh, quite uh, very much uh, in terms of the different media um, from different uh, media sections of the media I mean obviously yeah. and you guys are a very critical um, part of that you know in, in, in perpetuating and engaging in debate because I think that that's one of the things that football's always lacked in Australia the fact that the, the, the football media has been so small that people have been very uh, reluctant to bring up controversial topics or to actually be critical yeah. of, of, of uh, in, in a constructive way not in a negative way but in a constructive way of some of the issues that face the game and I think that it's been great that I mean you guys are around you've been a, a part of that I believe uh, certainly since you've been in, in the country uh, with the magazine and, and on your website uh, it plays an, a crucially important part and I think that's we're now starting to develop a football culture and that's yeah. what I like about it No I'd agree I think, I think you know when the fact that the debate goes beyond the score now and yep. we are talking about and in some ways it's healthy that mm. we are talking about PIM's tactics mm. we aren't just saying well we've qualified that's enough mm. you know but I do think that I think we all need to get a little bit of perspective sometimes take a step back and look at it and look how far it's come in five years mm. and go do you know what yes it's not perfect yet but we're on the right track and things are progressing way quicker than I think anyone could have imagined. Mm. Certainly when we launched it four years ago, mm. you know, this, this was the hope, you know, mm. this was the hope. Mm. Two World Cups, 10 teams, mm. growing league, you mm. know, great crowds. So, all right, we're going to move on now to, um, to the Johnny Warren Foundation. Obviously, Francis now is CEO there. Um, for the people that don't know um, anything about the Johnny Warren Foundation, obviously everybody knows... Johnny as, as, a, as a person, as a player and as a pundit. Um, what's the Johnny Warren Foundation set up to do? 
Well, the Johnny Warren Foundation set up about five years ago um, after a review by the state government into football. I mean, you'd remember when the old National League um, yeah. uh, basically shut, shut up shop and, you know, uh, there was, uh, I guess it was ground zero. There was no FFA at that stage. Uh, the government did an inquiry looking at uh, talent development in football. They decided that, uh, obviously, that the, the, the in, along the talent development pathway, we needed to develop um, kids um, from a more technical point of view, uh, technical emphasis on the development of kids. Uh, and so one of the so the recommendation was made by the state government, which is um, Bob Carr was the premier at that time with uh, uh, Maurice Yemmer, who was an yes. extra sport, and, um, and uh, they recommended a formation of the Johnny Warren uh, Football Academy, which then became the Johnny Warren uh, found, uh, Football Foundation. Uh, and the idea was that kids at the age of uh, 13, 12, 13, 14 would... Um, it would provide uh, elite development programs for free because at this point in time, we have to remember that up until very, very recently, um, some of those talent development programs were not free. Parents were having to shell out hundreds and in some cases thousands of dollars to, uh, for kids to actually, and for talented kids to actually be on football programs. So it was the first um, free uh, scholarship uh, program in the state that's um, for uh, talented uh, young kids. And so is it, is it for New South Wales players only? That's correct. Yeah. At the moment the, the, ta- the foundation's always been a New South Wales based uh, for players so it, um, for both in the city and for kids in the country it runs with uh, nine, um, basically uh, 12 centres all up uh, so that means for example in Sydney if you live in the North Shore or northern suburbs you'd train at uh, the um, Narrabeen Sports Centre. Uh, oh, okay. If you live in the eastern suburbs you train at Centennial Park and if you're south you train at Endeavour. So the idea is, is that kids don't have to come into one central area yeah. so that way you can target the best kids in, in, in each zone uh, and then then they go through the systematic program for six months seven months of the year and uh, yeah and the idea is, is that we lift the technical standard of the kids that are coming through um, for by the time they get to the, um, the NTCs the uh, Institute of Sport that they're at a higher technical level than they otherwise would be yeah and so what age group are the kids that you've got well, the age group now um, the, over the last couple of years it's been under 13 we've only had one age group we've run yeah. another the 13 age group we put about 270 um, boys and girls through the uh, program every year and but this year we're going to increase those numbers I mean I'm currently negotiating with Football New South Wales we're going to change the emphasis slightly with the uh, uh, with the new national curriculum coming into effect we're looking now at um, under 12s under 11s so we're going to have actually two age groups for the first time so we're looking to build it right down to the age of nine at the moment we're in discussions with the FFA about the overall positioning of the Johnny Warren Football Foundation in terms of where it fits in under the new uh, national um, development uh, pathway. And uh, our, our hope is, is that um, we will be... Um, fit, um, we are also looking to become a national uh, program. So our hope is, is that we'll be, fitting, we'll be slotted in between the age of 9 and 12 or 13. And Fantastic. we'll be looking at development of those kids. And how, how long do you have the kids for each week? What, what's the extent well, of the program? The kids train on our program at the moment. It runs from October to March or April and they train three times a week uh, and then they then then from January to March or October, um, April they'll train twice a week because obviously the club commitments then keep right so, they, so um, this this takes place
Okay, so the Johnny Warren program runs outside of their their own league. That's their great. Own season. That's right. right. It okay. takes place outside their season, yeah. and so that way it gives those kids the opportunity to actually spend that time because it's purely technically based. Yeah. And uh, and then those kids that come out of our program, for example, this year, uh, uh, six of them were selected for the uh, inaugural Australian under-13s team, which uh, played at the uh, football uh, festival in uh, Malaysia. Fantastic. Mm. Um, we talk, you talked to national curriculum and obviously that, that's recently been released. How do, is, are you adopting everything within that? Is that part of the remit with, with Football Federation Australia to look at the expansion that, that you're within that structure and, and adhering to that? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, what, we're talking to the FFA about that, about um, where we actually fit in. There's a review happening, a technical advisory group on which the FFA um, do have, a, um, have places on that group, review group. There's uh, uh, Jan Vazlayan, Han Berger, the tech, national technical director, uh, Alice um, Edwards, uh, Former Socceroo, he's uh, chairing. He's just been made assistant, hasn't he? That's right. Yeah. He's a yeah. he's, he's a consultant for the FFA, but he's he's the uh, he's chairing this technical advisory group. And then there are a number of independent uh, panel members: as Branko Chalina, uh, Richard Allegich, uh, um, David Lee, who was a former director of coaching at Football New South Wales, uh, and we've got those guys as the independent and John Paul de Marini. So we're in the process now of formulating a report and also in, in really serious discussions with the FFA about where exactly we fit in yeah. and how we're going to take the program national because obviously funding is an issue and uh, it, and really the best place it does fit in is 9 to 13. Uh, we, we would like a closer affiliation with the FFA with regard to funding and uh, and hopefully commercial partnerships that might help us to develop the funding uh, um, stream for this program nationally. So on the funding, currently where, where do you get the funding from? Who, who's footing the bill for this? Do, well, gov- do the government chip yeah, in for this? Well, the government actually set us up with a, a, a seed capital of $1.5 million, uh, and but we, um, we've only now started to get a, a, a small grant. We get a grant from the state government every year uh, from Department of Sports and Rec uh, and the rest of our funding comes from fundraising activities and uh, uh, corporate sponsorships. So we, I mean, things such as our gala dinner, uh, they're one of our main funding um, act, um, that's our main funding uh, event for the year, we get, uh, and then uh, which we just had, uh, yeah. uh, which was very successful. We had um, we've also putting on a series of things such as uh, boardroom lunches. Uh, with uh, obviously we had one with Mark Schwarzer um, a few a um, couple of weeks ago, uh, where we had 20 people in a room that paid to come in and listen to Mark, and uh, so we raised funds through those sorts of activities, and uh, and we're hoping to do a, f- a few more of those sorts of things um, through the year. Um, and also through corporate sponsorship, obviously. I mean, we, Nike are our performance partner. SBS um, partner us in the media. Uh, you guys, 442, uh, you've been very good to us with regard to our gala dinner and helping us throughout the year. So it's just getting um, partners on board. And there's Qantas as well. And uh, ANZ Stadium have been on board with us. So we've, we've really, and we're trying to build that up now. Um, we're, we're actively looking for people that are going to help us to uh, perpetuate the program nationally to be able to run the program as a big national program so we need funding for that and if we can get a big sponsor who can help to underwrite uh, some if not all of the costs for doing that that will put us in a position to be able to then look at this as a a five six year project yeah and presumably the conversation with the FFA is that this could form part of their 
sponsorship discussions with with brands so that they, they well that's correct and that's that's the sort of area we're going into because obviously if if people are looking for, um, to align themselves with uh, an elite junior development program and um, such as uh, the johnny warren brand i mean johnny warren's obviously a, a fantastic brand so to as his name you're looking to align yourself with something like that it fits, fits in with your 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 corporate objectives and we're, we're yeah we're having those discussions and trying to uh, uh cement or um, reach an agreement about putting those sorts of uh, things into place. And at that commercial level, are you, are you finding that, that what is happening, what we've just talked about, has the game ever been better here? Is that making life a little bit easier? Are people, are you getting more traction with sponsors because of what's happening at Socceroos level and A-League level? It, look, I think because the game is much more well known now, I mean, we are getting some, I mean, we're getting some recognition, but I think it's really tough uh, obviously, because the economic circumstances at the moment in the last uh, what, in the last eight or nine months, it's been quite difficult. Uh, and as anyone who's in sponsorship will tell you, it's not it's not easy attracting money right at this moment. But um, and that's where strategically, really, it makes sense for us to partner with the FFA and uh, and in some cases, the state federations yeah. uh, and state governments in attracting funding for for this. I mean, if I'll give you a small example, Tasmania are actually interested in running a Johnny Warren program, and they've actually. Uh, but because um, in the in the um, development plan that we had, in uh, the the Tasmanian uh, um, one wasn't going to open for a, no- a number of years, they're keen to do it now and, and are keen to go and source sponsorship locally uh, to help fund it. Right. So it's it's that. So we need to look at those sorts of uh, partnerships and um, to, um, to sort of hopefully get this up and running as soon as possible. Okay. Mm. And one of the things, obviously, that's going to be uh, a good yardstick to the success of the program is is graduates going on and playing in the A-League and Youth League and then on to the Socceroos hopefully. Are there, are there any notable graduates that, that we'd be aware of or we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, look, there's a few. I mean, I think that um, it's only, the programme's only been going four years and last year was the first year in which we started to get a few who came through. Uh, Emily Van Egmond, uh, oh, okay. she's a, yeah. a Newcastle Jets. She's on the verge of being a Matilda. In fact, would have been a Matilda in January. Well, they'll um, put money on her playing for Canberra next yeah. year. Yeah, 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 given yeah. the family's <laughs> just moved. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, well, you just never know. And uh, she she got injured on the eve of the game. She was Tom Samani was going to select her, so she got injured um, two days before the game. So, which is unfortunate. So, she still hasn't made the. Um, she's a 16 year old, and she still hasn't made the national team yet, but she will. Uh, yeah. And uh, we got uh, Ben Kantorowski, the Newcastle right. Jets, yeah. uh, that as well. He was in the first. Um, he was in the first uh, pool of kids who went through the program in the first year in Northern New South Wales. So he's the highest profile, obviously male. And then there's a number of other kids who've come through since. And there are a number at the Institute. Jared Lum, the young guy who helped to launch a World Cup bid, yep. he was on the program as well. And he attended our gala dinner with, along with um, four of, um, three of his um, uh, teammates who were at the Institute. Uh, Brendan Hamill, uh, Mark Warren, and uh, Nicholas Sinojevic, who actually now at the Institute and are now going to be formed part of the squad for the next uh, Australian Under-20s um, national team. So it's, it's yeah, so that, that's the sort of Fantastic. successes that we're having. I'm fitting that you know, yep. Johnny's name should be associated moving forward right. with the next, sort of hopefully producing the next generation of soccer. Well, that's it. His, his view was that, you know, that it's, we shouldn't be talking just about um, 
qualifying for a World Cup, we should be talking about winning one. And to do that, we need, technically, we've always had the, the, the issue at the level that Australians are good athletes, they're very coachable, um, and they're very enthusiastic, but technically we've just never been at the level that the other countries are at, especially at a younger age. And we find that we spend the time when they're older, it's too late by the time they get to 16, yeah. trying to teach them the technical basis of the game. So we need to create the fundamentals uh, at a much earlier age, as, as, um, as is the case in most of the um, uh, top football um, countries. And if we start to sort of follow that path, then I think that, uh, yeah, it bodes very well for the future of Australian football. Fantastic. Well, it's Johnny Warren Foundation doing some fantastic work there. Um, last question, just from left field, obviously. No one's really listening to this. There's three Englishmen in a room here. Um, possibly the most difficult job interview in football, an Englishman getting a job at SBS? Talk us through that. Yeah, look, I, um, I I think I snuck in because I think because I played for Australia. They, You're they not fooling anyone, mate, with that accent. <laughs> yeah, because I played for Australia, I kind of sneaked in. I think that way. You know, you're right. You know, yeah. But look, no, nah, look, we got we got English guys over there. Stuart Randall, our producer, you know, Tottenham supporter. Ken, uh, English. Ken, Ken, yeah. Ken Ship, and uh, yeah, but I know. But um, oh, look, I look my I love I love my time at SBS. They they've been fantastic um, custodians of the game. And in terms yeah. of, and and I love my debates with Craig Foster on air as well. That that, that keeps me. Um, How about off air? Do they do they take a little bit more of a an we, edge off air? How does no, it feel no, as no. an Englishman there when he's when he goes on one of his anti-English tirades? To be honest, in some in, in some cases, I actually do agree with him. I think that you know that in a, in a lot of things, he's actually quite valid. But when it comes to sort of the football philosophy, I mean, uh, Craig believes everyone should play a certain way. And my view is, well, if everyone played the same way, football would be boring. Mm. And uh, that's why we all like the different styles of football. They're all, all, all over the world. And um, we had the argument about Barcelona and Chelsea, you know, yeah. that you can't play to the strengths of your opponents. You just don't do that. You know, Only but one team can have Lionel Messi and everyone else has got to find a way to stop him. You yes. Know, that's, the, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Fozzie's a closet communist. He believes in heaven, you know, <laughs> Barcelona and football, you know. So, you know. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up for this week. I'd like to thank again our special guest, Francis Waratifi, for coming in and shedding some light on the great work that the Johnny Warren Foundation's doing for the future of Australian football. Uh, acting... 442's own answer to Julia Gillard's Trevor Trahan um, for joining us to Paul Hansford for going on holiday and leaving me lumbered with the hosting duties and not don't forget that our current issue is on sale at the moment with our uh, 50 best Aussies around the world putting our necks on the block again um, and the website au.442.com for all your uh, daily news on the A-League and world football we'll see you next week on 442 Insider thanks a lot for your company goodbye 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.